Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Porter Gals presents Terrifying Tales. Hi, I'm Debbie. And I'm Allison. And we're the Polter Gals. Spooky. <laughs> Christmas Ghost Story. Written by Nick DiMarantino. Published in 2022 by Northwest Corner Books. Chapter 6. Forbidden Sister. That Rossi Woman. Holidays attract accidents. No doubt about it. Every holiday reinforced her theory. No more than Christmas. Dr. Helen Carr didn't care what anyone else thought about her grim principle of life because her theory always proved true. There was no escaping it. Holidays want accidents to happen, and they do. Only 17 days left until Christmas, and already the lobby of the Puget Sound Health Clinic was filling up before 10. Take away a couple nurses with the flu, and those left on their feet were doomed and ugly and overcrowded day. That Rossi woman was figuring in the day again. She was becoming a pain in the neck. Dr. Carr droned the impersonal switchboard voice over the intercom. She snatched up the nearest receiver. Carr here. There's a Rossi waiting for you on room nine. You've got to be kidding me, said Dr. Carr. I just talked to her an hour ago. An endless stream of nervous questions. Questions about nutrition, questions about fetal development, questions about emotional equilibrium. She wants to talk to you about gymnastics. Gymnastics? She'd certainly heard wrong. (laughs) What? The same word rhymed with gymnastics? Well, Miss Rossi would like your permission to compete in gymnastics. Dr. Carr stopped in her tracks and turned toward room nine. Miss Rossi was surely smart enough to realize that gymnastics was not a good idea for a pregnant woman. Dr. Carr usually behaved very professionally, but it had been a particularly long and unpleasant day. In three strides, she crossed the length of the hall. Really, Miss Rossi, she said, pushing open the door in exasperation. Do you think gymnastics is appropriate for a woman in your condition? After all, there's a child to consider. What child? You are Gina Rossi, aren't you? Finding out. That was how Rachel Rossi found out. 
If she hadn't have gone for her annual physical exam to compete in high school gymnastics team, she might have never known. Gina was back. She was living in Seattle, and she was pregnant. That was all she could think about as she drove north on towards home. No one was driving fast enough. Christmas traffic was obscene. It was gloomy, frigid December afternoon. Everyone was on the road. No one wanted to be there, and no one was concentrating on driving. Miserable faces grimaced behind every windshield. Rachel grimaced right back. She could read those unhappy faces loud and clear. Every face behind every windshield was preoccupied with its own knot of worries, most of those worries revolving around Christmas and how close it was getting. About what they intended to buy and where they were going to find it and how much it would cost and how they would manage to pay for it. The drivers on every side were pushy, neurotic, distracted, and rude. So was Rachel Rossi. She was a stunning 17-year-old with gypsy black eyes and barely manageable shorter link hair. She loved driving, and she was born to drive. She could be very belligerent, hard-nosed, and aggressive as everyone else. She wasn't afraid to lean on the horn or swerve where angels feared to tread. She would rather have crashed and burned than have anyone even hint that she drove like a girl. She leaned down on the gas pedal, roared up and passed Pokey Honda in front of her, then zipped in front of him and on over into the next lane. Honks of protest followed her little maneuver. Rachel didn't mind. This was Christmas traffic. You could drive like that at Christmas. Except that Rachel wasn't thinking about Christmas at all. She was thinking about her sister, her pregnant sister, Gina, who had finally finished college and come back to Seattle, who hadn't called her. She parked in front of the handsome restored classic at the end of the cul-de-sac in Wedgwood, where she lived all 17 years of her life. Darting across the immaculate manicured front lawn, she unlocked the front door and went straight down the hall to the telephone. In a moment, she was hunched over the kitchen drain bore, receiver tucked between shoulder and ear, intently listening to the information robot voice, furiously scribbling down the new address and phone number of Gina Rossi. She punched the number in the telephone at once. She was almost dizzy with nervous excitement. Hello? That treasured familiar voice. Gina, it's me! Rachel? You'll never guess what happened. The doctor got us mixed up this morning. She thought I was pregnant! Not until then did Rachel realize she wasn't alone in the house. She spun around, her father standing in the kitchen doorway. He was shocked as she was. He was wearing a soaked t-shirt and sweats, the way he dressed when he took a break from his apartment-crowded day to work out at home on the Nordic track. His mouth hung open in anguished disbelief. His cheeks slowly flushed red. Rachel stared at him in guilty terror. Hello? Hello? said Gina's voice, tiny and far away from the telephone receiver. Her father snatched it out of her hand. Gina? said her father. Dad? She sounded like she couldn't believe her ears. Yes, this is your father. His question, his voice quavered. So tell me, he said, his lips too close to the receiver. Is it true? Rachel strained to hear the voice on the other end of the line. It's true, said Gina simply, bravely. I'm pregnant. He slumped back down against the wall with a groan. How could you do something so stupid? Dad, it, it wasn't on purpose. Have you lost your common sense? Look, I'm not going to defend myself. It was an accident. It happened. That's all there is to it. That's far from all there is to it. Just what do you plan to do now? 
I'm going to have a baby, Dad. And no wedding ring? I can manage on my own. And what about that jerk that did this to you? No one did it to me, Dad. We did it together. It was my fault as much as his. But you're the one who gets the shame. You're the unmarried mother. You're the disgrace. Disgrace? How do you feel like I'm a disgrace? Am I supposed to be proud of you? Would you rather I had an abortion? Is that what you want? Because that's an option too. She was crying now. It would be much simpler. I wasn't planning on having children. It's not a good time for us. It's a good time to murder your child, he whispered. Rachel had never heard so much anger in his voice. No one's murdering anyone, said Gina. I'm going to have it. A bastard. I'm sorry, Dad. I have to do what I think is right. Is that so, he said. Well, I have to do what I think is right, too. I do not want you parading around like that in front of your brother and sister. You are not welcome in this house. He hung up. The click of disconnection rang loudly through the kitchen. As for you, he said, turning back to Rachel, you are forbidden to call her. You are forbidden to have anything to do with her. Don't test me, Rachel. I am your father. A good Catholic queen. How Rachel hated her father for that. One lash of his hot temper and her sister was torn out from her life. From that moment on, she addressed her father only in monosyllables. They avoided each other. They ignored each other. The entire household was pins and needles. Three tension-filled days passed, bristling in uneasy traces of nasty skirmishes. Then Rachel entered the kitchen announcing, You'll be interested to know that I made another shocking historical discovery about the Catholic Church. Her new thing was questioning Catholicism, severely questioning its spiritual value, its role in history. It wasn't what her father wanted to hear. Sam Rossi had spent half of his free evenings every week for the last 10 years and far too much of his own money funding the Catholic school for his kids attended. Now Rachel was attacking the very Catholicism which he had so extensively nurtured for her. As far as Sam Rossi was concerned, his daughter was rejecting more than a religion. She was rejecting him. Every day, Rachel discovered new historical atrocities committed by Catholics. She never failed to share these findings with her father, usually in the kitchen during their daily breakfast run-through, when all their morning schedules briefly interconnected at the refrigerator, where her father's temper was often raw. Rachel never missed an opportunity of challenging the church's degrading attitude towards women. She accused Catholicism of slaughters, purges, war, of atrocities against Jews, Muslims, heretics, Native Americans, gay people, and about half of the planet. She could have Sam Rossi fuming in just a matter of minutes. I can't believe it, she exclaimed. All these years, I thought Queen Isabella was a great person, you know, uniting all Spain and Catholicism, believing in Christopher Columbus, financing the discovery of the new world. You thought right, said her father. I thought wrong, said Rachel. Now I'm finding out the truth. She knew he would ask, what is the truth? The truth, said Rachel, is that first she drove all the Muslims out of Spain using Jewish money. Then she drove all the Jews out of Spain and made them leave their money behind. Did you know how many hundreds of thousands of Spanish Jews were driven out of their homeland? You're exaggerating again, her father said tensely. 
forced out in a sea of overcrowded ships, delivered to torturers of the Inquisition, dumped on islands where they were eaten by animals. Rachel, you're going to be late for school, her mother nervously said, but Rachel wasn't finished. And get this, Queen Isabella had choir boys appointed to sing near her throne, and she wouldn't be disturbed by the screams of the Jews and the heretics that were being burned at the stake outside. Where do you get this kind of crap? It isn't crap, cried Rachel. You should try a little aggressive historical research sometimes, instead of just believing what you're told. It was another battle royale. Rachel stormed out of the house. She fumed over all day. By the end of school, she was ready to break the unfair ban on her sister. When the bell rang and the other girls on the gymnastics team headed towards the locker room to change in their practice clothes, Rachel darted out of the back room out of the gym, car keys in hand. She was soon behind the wheel and heading to the nearest entrance ramp to the freeway. It was time to defy her father's ridiculous ruling. What right did he have to separate her from her sister? Besides, how would he ever know? The back porch. She was on her way to see Gina. The very thought made her smile. She had been unconditionally devoted to her half-sister since childhood. She reached forward and changed the radio station. Anything but Christmas carols. She settled for Butterfly Jam playing Ain't No Use. Her running shoes tapped at an accompaniment to the tune. No one tells me what to sing or how I gotta dance. I've got my life to live. Give me a chance. She banked around the entrance ramp to Interstate 5. Too bad about skimming practice, but she wasn't worried. They wouldn't kick her off the team. She was their best all-event competitor, and the coach knew it. Athletic competition has always come easily to her, especially since it was such a surefire way of impressing her father. She was naturally athletic, naturally coordinated, and smart as a whip. She drove the boys wild and avoided them. Boys always disappointed her, as did her parents, her father particularly. The very thought of him now made her angry again. She noticed she was gripping the steering wheel. The speedometer was rising. How stubborn he could be. How narrow. How blind. How wrong. How infuriating. Ever since Rachel had gotten her driver's license last year, she'd become independent, defiant, volatile, and in the opinion of her father, impossible. She had began openly challenging her father's ideas and squealing off to her friend's house whenever things were getting too hot. Like now, except this time, she wasn't going to Lucy's. The bright yellow fortress of Rainier Brewery crutched by the side of the freeway as Rachel swerved over to the Columbian Way exit, the exit to her forbidden sister's home. A few moments later, she pulled in front of 1716 South Maynor Street. She didn't know what she was expecting, but the sight of the familiar old house made her hit the brakes. She bounced one wheel up on the curb, the tires scraping. She had no idea until then. She hadn't recognized the address. Nana's house. Rachel could hardly get out of her seatbelt fast enough. She slammed the car door behind her. What the hell was going on? Halfway across the parking strip, she came to a faltering stop and just stared. She couldn't believe it. She still had fuzzy memories of this house from when she was very young. Gina was living in Nana's house. With a surge of excitement, she set out across the lawn, heading around the house to the back door. She was eager to see her sister again. Gina had been the idol of Rachel's childhood, the pretty older sibling whose body had begun changing in such a wonderful ways, while Rachel was still wearing her braces. Her childhood devotion to Gina had been legendary in her family, and she hadn't phoned ahead. 
She had wanted to surprise her. She trotted up the flight of eight stairs into the back porch, the size of the telephone booth. The moment she stepped inside, Rachel remembered the claustrophobic feeling it had always given her during Nana's last years. Every available corner and surface of that porch had once been crowded with plants. Two levels of shelving had leaned against the windows where limp and withering leaves had jostled and poked each other for room to bake in the sun. There were not just random plants, Rachel had discovered. All the plants crowded in the sun porch had one thing in common. They were ailing. Some were dying not far from it. The sick and terminal of Nana's plant's kingdom had sent to the back porch and the late dose of life-sustaining sunlight. While Rachel in her earliest memories had hated and feared that porch, it was currently benign and unimpressive, no longer filled with those dying plants. It contained only a few empty boxes, waiting to be recycled out back. She rapped on the door and waited and rapped again. Too eager to wait, she then tried the doorknob. It turned? Not locked? Gina must be nearby. Virgil swung the door open and leaned into the empty, old-fashioned kitchen. Hello, she called. Her voice echoed through the hollow emptiness of Nana's house while she waited for Gina to appear. In a moment, her sister would find her, standing there, unexpected, unannounced, inside the little back porch of her new home. In a moment, she'd be throwing her arms around Gina's neck. Hello? She called again, louder this time, into the familiar old kitchen. She remembered that kitchen only too well. This was where an ancient old woman named Nana had once long ago in Rachel's earliest childhood sat reading the newspaper in her wooden chair by the warmth of the oven door. An old woman who always had strange, stinky vegetables cooking on her stove, who always clutched Rachel and kissed her and blessed her and terrified her. Hello? No one answered. In the cantina. Rachel was ready to give up and leave in frustration when one last call got a faint response. Down here came a voice from the open door on the other side of the kitchen. There, at the end of the hall, a lighted doorway opened onto a staircase, which descended sharply into the basement. Rachel cautiously descended the wooden steps. The vast, empty basement was deserted. No sign of her sister. Had she been hearing things? H Hello? In the cantina? In the where? Over here. The voice came from a dwarf-sized doorway beyond the old wash tub and clothes wires. The wooden stairs led to what looked like an afterthought half-floor, dark and unfinished. Inside, a single-watt, 60-light bulb dangled from one of the beams in the lone ceilings. Its stark light glimmered on the rows of wooden shelves inside the cement walls of the wall of the small, whitewashed underground wine cellar. Sis, Gina was crouched at the far end in blue jeans with a shirt with rolled up sleeves, intently busy under one of the shelves. She looked up. Rachel, she cried, smiling with delight. What a great surprise. She rose at once, not quite to her full height beneath the low ceiling. Watch your head, she advised. A moment before, she swept her into her arms. A long, warm hug. It's great to see you, said Gina. You look fantastic, said Rachel admiringly. What are you doing down here? Just putting out some mousetraps, said her sister, grinning at her. We've got a few more housemates than we bargained for. Great, said Rachel, glancing around her uneasily. 
They've been terrible the last few nights. What a racket. Enough to drive peace-loving people to murder. She carefully set on another baited trap. It took you long enough to get back to me. You're off limits. I suspected that might be the problem, said Gina. So are you going to get in trouble for coming over? Only if he finds out, said Rachel. They both laughed. Be careful, okay? I don't want to make things hard for you and the family. Hey, I'm a big girl now, said Rachel. I can take it. So what do you think, said Gina, gesturing her arms to include the whole house above them? Nana's house, said Rachel. I'm still in shock. It was for sale, so why not? Do you remember this crazy little room? How about these? She pointed towards two big wooden barrels, taking up the end of the katina. They're still here. No more wine in them, though. Rachel's face lit up. I do remember. Grandpa used to make wine down here. I remember the grapes going through the ringers and getting all crushed and smashed into this gross, juicy glob and feeling sorry for the grapes. You would, said Gina. Don't give me trouble, grape lover. They laughed and hugged each other and felt silly. Rachel wandered down the length of the cantina, dunking her head beneath the low beams of the ceiling. I remember this place. This is where Nana always came to the antipasto and the pies. The two sisters looked at each other in the eye at the same time. Then they cried out simultaneously, like a chant from the past, the name of Nana's mouthwatering specialty, wild blackberry pie with ice cream. They enjoyed laughing together, just like old times, how Rachel had treasured their two weekends a month together, the six sweet summers they had to share before Gina went off to college and had invariably ended in tears. There used to be all those glass jars full of olives and chopped up vegetables on the shelves, remember? Do I remember? Rachel scrunched up her nose, how to show him what she remembered. Floating pickled things? The sisters started getting giggly. I love this house, said Rachel, but it's always sort of scary, too, don't you think? Just like Nana was sometimes a little scary. She scared you? When she stopped combing her hair and started running around in her nightgown and hiding in those spooky rooms upstairs, she only got that way at the end. But Gina remembered her last visits to Nana's house way too well. Remember when we went to see her, said Rachel, and she didn't know who we were anymore? And she started screaming, and Dad made us wait for him in the car. That was just at the very end. The impossible baby. The two sisters had so much to say to each other. They leaped gleefully from one unfinished topic to another. You remember Aaron? You met him a couple years ago when Mom died. Sure, I remember him. A real hunk. You two really hit it off. Uh, I guess you could say that. Not until almost an hour later did they get to mentioning what they both had on their minds. So, how are you feeling? That was as close as Rachel could get to the topic of pregnancy. They were sitting side by side on the cantina stairs. Fine, said Gina. It must be incredible. It's pretty incredible, all right. You and Aaron must be so excited. Yes, well, Aaron and I certainly very... Rachel thought her sister was searching for the right word, and she realized she was crying. Gina, what is it? Did I say something wrong? Gina wiped at her eyes at the back of her hand and tried to smile, trying to dismiss this whole subject and lie to her sister. She couldn't. I'll tell you what it is. It's a nightmare. What are you talking about, said Rachel. Her sister was scaring her. Is something wrong with the baby? Something's very wrong with the baby. She stared across the basement 
as though the answer lies somewhere on the other side, beyond the basement door. The baby is the worst thing that could possibly happen. It's going to destroy what Aaron and I have. He's doing his best to be a good sport about it, but he's feeling trapped. I know he is. I can see it in his eyes, and I'm feeling trapped too. Trapped in my own body. Don't you want the baby? No, I don't want the baby. The words came out of her with unexpected hospitality. The baby is impossible. The baby is all wrong. It can't happen. It, it isn't going to happen. Rachel felt uncomfortable. She was becoming afraid. She didn't want to know anymore, but she couldn't stop from asking. What do you mean? Gina hadn't intended to tell her. Not until she started pouring out her feelings to her sister did she realize how much she needed to talk to someone. I've made a decision. The only sane decision I could possibly make. I'm going to have it taken care of. I have an appointment at the doctor's tomorrow morning. For a tense moment, the two sisters sat on the cantina stairs in silence, not looking at each other. Rachel spoke first. She could hardly assimilate to what she had just heard. Is that what Aaron wants you to do? Gina hesitated. Aaron doesn't know. Oh my god! I don't have any choice. The words rushed out of Gina. I, I have to do something. I just want this nightmare to end. It'll be such a relief to get over with it. But aren't you scared? The very thought of it made Rachel feel faint. Not to mention trespassing onto such a frightening moral ground. Of course I'm scared, said Gina. But it's the only way out of this mess. There's no other way. The sight of so much fear in her younger sister's eyes made Gina reach out and take Rachel's hand. Don't worry. Everything will be fine. I know it will be, said Rachel. She tried her hardest to act like an adult. She was afraid she was going to start crying at any minute. I'll be fine. Even though Dad will never forgive me. Dad. The mere mention of her father was all Rachel needed. Now she was on familiar ground again. Dad doesn't live in the 90s, she said. He's off of his own little Catholic dream world, his own moral universe where he likes to play God. If Dad found out, he'd go through the ceiling. He'd have cardiac arrest. Well, if he gets uptight, so what? She regarded her sister's tear-streaked cheeks. Sis, do you want me to go with you? Thanks. Gina was touched, but she had already made up her mind. No, I can handle it. Tomorrow, this will all be over, and we'll pretend like it never happened. Mousetrap. Someone had to change the subject, and so Rachel did. So, what are you going to do for Christmas? Absolutely nothing, said Gina. You're not coming home? You've got to be kidding. How can I come home? Dad refuses to have me in the house. I've clearly been disinvited. It's no big deal. Christmas doesn't even mean that much to me. Besides, I have Aaron now. He and I will celebrate somehow, very low-key. He isn't Christian after all. A big family Christmas? Not this year. It isn't going to happen. And that's fine with me. I guess, if that's how you feel, as long as you're okay with it, Rachel shrugged, not really showing her own feelings on the matter. She glanced at her watch. Yikes! She said, rising abruptly to her feet. I better get back before they send out the police. Gina rose too, suddenly very much not wanting to lose her sister's company. Thanks for coming over, sis. I hate to encourage you in this life of crime, breaking father's rules, but you know, you're always welcome here, and I mean that from my heart. I miss you so much. The two sisters hugged. Good luck tomorrow, and just forget about dad. The hardest part is me, said Gina. 
I hope things grow. It's not in my nature to kill anything, much less. She couldn't talk about it. She had talked enough. You know what's best, said Rachel. You don't have any choice. It's ugly stuff, but you have to do it. Get it over with, Gina. Do what you have to do. A sudden, loud crack. Something leaped at them out of the shadows. It scratched Rachel's arm before battering into the wall. They both screamed. Something wooden clattered at their feet. What was that, said Gina? Are you hurt? Another loud wham sound. What, this time, from the other side of the cantina. It hurtled at them off the shelf like a feverish rat. They turned away from it. This way, that way, not sure where the next one was coming from. Something hit one of the shelves. Another sharp, snapping bang. Something flipped over on the floor, shuddering. What's happening? cried Rachel. A hush in the cantina. The two sisters gripped each other. Slowly, Gina drew away and looked down onto the floor. There, by the toe of Rachel's running shoe, a metal tongue dangling, lay an overturned mousetrap. And another mousetrap lay in the corner. Another had fallen off the shelf. They had been snapping and popping on all sides. Mouse traps? I just set them. Why did they all go off? Um, must have been a really fast mouse, said Gina, stunned. Either that, or I don't know how to set mouse traps. All at the same time, mumbled Rachel. Weird. Incompetent is more of a word for it, said Gina. Don't you dare tell Aaron. I'll never hear the end of it. Your secret is safe with me, said Rachel. She breathed a nervous sigh of relief. I better get out of here. I'll leave you to your mouse traps. She kissed Gina on the cheek. I can show myself out. She hesitated. Good luck tomorrow. Thanks, sis. Halfway up the stairs, she called back down. Do you really want me to leave your back door unlocked? Lock it, said Gina. Rachel scampered up the stairs. As she passed through the kitchen where Nana had sat so often by the oven, she felt a wave of guilty relief that her great-grandmother was dead. She never admitted it to Gina that Nana genuinely frightened her. Rachel hated the thought of growing old and ugly and wrinkled, forgetting everything, going crazy. She crossed the kitchen, flipped the lock, and carefully pulled the kitchen door shut behind her until she heard it click securely. She was more than ready for the fresh air outside, no matter how chilly it was. She just wanted out of that house. Not until the back door was locked did Rachel turn around to face the door of the sun porch. With the first twist of the knob, she realized it was jammed. She wiggled it, rattled it. Oh well, she would just have to get Gina's attention. Her sister would then let her out. She tried to go back into the kitchen, and the kitchen door wouldn't budge. She had made sure it was locked tight. She twisted and turned the knob on the porch door, glaring out the back window in the world on the other side, just out of reach. She rattled on the porch door fiercely. It refused to tug free. In exasperation, she began hammering with her fist on the kitchen door. Gina, she called. Gina, the damn door! She had an uncomfortable feeling that Gina, being down in the cantina, wouldn't hear a thing. She would be down there for hours. Of all the places to get stuck, how long would it be for before her sister came upstairs? How many mouse traps does she have to reset? She tried to wait patiently. One long, slow minute dragged out into another. And then she began to notice the unpleasant odor. What was that sweet and sickening smell? It was vaguely familiar, and she knew what it was. She associated that smell with this very back porch. It was the slimy rot of dying plants. But how could that be? There were no plants on this back porch now. Where could that nauseating odor be coming from? 
Gina, she shouted. She banged with her fist. She was just too tough to admit it to herself that she was getting scared. Don't be silly, Rachel. Don't lose your grip. You're letting your mind play tricks on you. She could feel herself edging towards panic. The stink of rotting plants was getting worse. It was getting so cold on the back porch. Was there a crack somewhere? She could feel an icy draft on her legs. Something about that chill. Gina, she screamed. Her voice rang too loud in the tight little porch. There was no sign that she had been heard inside. She pounded with both fists. She clutched the doorknob, tugging on it. She became so frightened, she then started to cry, sobbing like a child in the night, waiting for her parents to come and comfort her. In the middle of the sob that shook her body, the door latch came unstuck. The porch door swung gently open again. Rachel flung herself out of the sun porch with a groan of rage, hurtling down the back stairs and across her grown mother's lawn. She did not look back. She ran all the way to her car. After a little nervous fumbling with her keys, she squealed out of her parking place and was shaken with sobs all the way home that shook her entire body as she drove what made her more furious with herself. Can't you ever just act like an adult? She never told anyone what happened, not even her sister. Be sure to follow us on Facebook or on YouTube at The Porter Gals or on Instagram at The underscore Porter Gals. You can also find us wherever you get your podcast or at roguemedianetwork.com. You've been listening to The Polter Gals, a Rogue Media Network podcast. This has been a Rogue Media podcast.